Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Junkies, welcome back to another Espresso Shots episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into tech, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest became the first student at his college to land an internship at Google. And then he converted that internship into a full-time job as an analyst. And within two years, became a senior strategy and operations manager. But before I introduce you to Jerry Lee, who is also the co-founder and COO of Wansulting, whose mission is to turn underdogs into winners, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that gives you tips, tricks, and insights into all kinds of careers from the professionals like Jerry who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my job-seeking Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Jerry Lee, the co-founder and chief operating officer of OneSulting. It's a company focused on helping those who come from non-target schools with non-traditional backgrounds to get into their dream careers. To date, they've helped thousands receive offers from top companies, including the Googles, the Deloitte's, and the Goldman Sachs of the world. It is a mission that Jerry is passionate about because not that long ago, When he was a freshman in college, he estimates that he spent over a 100 hours unsuccessfully applying for internships, all the while the Career Services Center at his school told him to just keep on applying for those dream positions. By his junior year, Jerry had cracked the code and became the first student from his school to land an internship at Google. He parlayed that internship into a full-time gig as a strategist post-grad, and within two years, he was a senior strategy and operations manager. From Google, Jerry moved over to Lucid and became the youngest person there to lead a project strategy team. Fast forward to today, and Jerry and his partner, Jonathan Javier, are working full-time on one salting, which is absolutely blowing up due to the incredible value they provide. Jerry has also been named a 2020 top LinkedIn voice on tech, and he has almost 150,000 followers. I'm guessing it's even higher than that on LinkedIn, as well as tens of thousands of followers on IG and TikTok. Jerry, welcome. 
Welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Andrea, the amount of energy that you share with me, I don't even need caffeine because I am so excited to be here and chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh my God, you are such a charmer. You really are. That does not get you off the hook, my friend. (laughs) Do you drink any caffeine or are you caffeine free? I am caffeine free. I say my caffeine comes from water where I drink and also just wash my face. Whenever I wash my face, that is my source of energy. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, I happen to love the taste of coffee. I also love the taste of all different kinds of teas, but I am a Java junkie. So, you know, that's that's the way we roll here. Yeah, I love I love the smell of coffee. Oh my God, it's so good, especially when you grind your own beans the way that I do. So it's Mm -hmm. super fresh. I want our listeners to know that I also had the pleasure of interviewing your partner, Jonathan, and that was in T4C episode 707, if they want to check that out. And he was just awesome, just incredible. I can totally see how the two of you gelled. How did you meet? Was it at Google? You know, it is the funniest thing because we talk so much about, hey, how you should use LinkedIn to connect with others, find the hiring managers and recruiters to land your job. Funny enough, Jonathan used those exact same strategies to reach out to me while I was at Google. He then said, you know what? I will eventually want to work there. Would love to link up when I'm there. Once he moved up to the Bay, We then said, you know what? We both have a passion for sharing professional and career tips to others. We spoke for the first time at UC Berkeley, and that's where everything started. And how long ago was that? Wow. I think it must have been three years ago now. Two, three years ago. Time flies. (laughs) It really does. But it's so true. And actually, I don't know. We're not going to get into that in this interview, but I am a firm believer, Jerry, in magic. Some people might call it serendipity, but I actually think by putting yourself out there, by projecting positive, a can-do positive attitude, you are going to attract your tribe. And magical encounters, magical experiences will happen just like you getting that message from Jonathan out of the blue. I, I love that. And, you know, that reminds me of a quote that my mentor once told me. And he told me that people believe that networking is you connecting with other people. But the true value in networking comes from when you connect other people, just like how we got connected through Jonathan. Exactly. I am such a firm believer in believing that anything is possible. Because when you have that mindset coupled with determination, hard work, perseverance, you'll be unstoppable. I couldn't have said it better. I 100% agree. So let's dive into our 10 espresso shots, Jerry, which we're framing around the tech industry. And I know you have been on more of the project management side, but there's so many different aspects to tech. But the first question is, what are the entry-level jobs that our young listeners should be looking out for if they want to break into this industry? So one of the biggest misconceptions that you pointed out, and rightfully so, is that 
people believe that the tech industry is limited to tech roles. That is by far the biggest misconception that there is. So the most of the most of the roles that are available in tech are a lot of the same functions that you'll see across industry: sales, marketing, customer support, finance, business strategy, analytics. In almost all tech companies, you will find that they have a program dedicated to each and every single one of those functions as sort of a career Kickstarter. LinkedIn has one. Google has one. Facebook has one. And the list goes on and on. But the key thing that people should know is that these roles have very, very tight windows of applications. They're only open for one, two, three weeks. So you have to make sure you don't miss the thought. Why? Why is the the timeline so tight? The timeline is so tight because they have very specific hiring cycles to align with their business needs. So for example, when typically in, in tech companies, they'll have headcount, which are basically people that they need to hire onto their team released at the end of the year, beginning of the year. And so in anticipation for that, they align that with your graduation date they know that they're going to get thousands of applications. And so to make sure that they attract the most top quality talent and to make sure that they can actually go through and give enough application enough time, that's why they time bound it. Okay, got it. So what are the entry-level jobs that our young listeners should be looking out for? The biggest entry-level jobs, if you're in technical roles, would be software engineering, product management, those are by far the most popular roles. If you're in a non-technical role, you want to go for sales, marketing, design. Those are the fields that are most abundant in the tech field today. And even if your goal is to go into another similar field, using sales or marketing as sort of a stepping stone is extremely common in the tech field. Oh, that is great to know. What about a useful hard and soft skill, Jerry, that you look for in the young people that you hire, let's say on the tech side? The hard skills for technical roles has to be the technical skills. It is one thing to know it in theory where you learn it in class, but it's another thing to actually do projects. And one of the best ways that we've seen people demonstrate these projects is by doing something that you're passionate about. So for example, one of my clients that I work with, he had a huge, huge passion in weightlifting. So what he did was he mixed his passion for weightlifting and computer science, and he created a fitness app that basically helped him track all of his workouts, but also created an algorithm to help predict, hey, tomorrow, you should actually bench five more pounds than you did the day before. And so he sort of created this app and actually was crazy because he ended up getting a thousand downloads within a month. Wow. Crazy. (laughs) So it's things like this that you want to learn these skills, but the most important thing is applying those skills. Fantastic. What about soft skills? Soft skills. One of the biggest, biggest things in tech is that you will find yourself in so many meetings. And you'll have, especially if you're in a technical role, you'll have a meeting with your product lead, your tech lead, your design folks. And so the biggest thing that most underrated skill that you can have is just listening. I think people often have this misconception that the person who speaks the most is typically the one that gives the most value. It's actually quite the opposite. 
I think the person who speaks the least and spends the most time listening, I think are the ones who have the biggest weight in sort of these, these early career conversations because you're the person who goes, I understand what you're saying. Have we thought about this thing slightly differently? And most of the time, you'll find that most people haven't thought about that in such a long time because they're so set in their own ways and their own biases. So just by listening, you're going to be able to bring in that new perspective. And at Google, we always said that's the biggest value that a new Googler, a new Googler can bring. Oh, that is fantastic. Jerry, is someone's major a deciding factor to get into tech and to be specific here, to get into more of the technical side of tech? In other words, if they haven't studied engineering or accounting or coding, is it a deal breaker? You know, I always say that an unpopular opinion that I have is we're in a time where it is the easiest to earn a six-figure job. And the reason I say this is because you see that there are these whole rise of coding boot camps where they take cohorts of students, put you through a rigorous coding boot camp of anywhere from four to nine months where you learn everything that you need to know of how to be effective on day one. Once you go through these curriculums, you see people joining entry-level roles at top tech companies like Google. Even if you're working at a smaller or maybe mid-sized company, the experiences that you get in those roles will allow you to apply for companies like Google because you will have that software engineering skill or data science skill. Those technical roles are so coveted in the tech industry. So to answer your question in a short way, absolutely not. One of my friends actually studied accounting, actually, spent his career in IT security consulting, and now he's a software engineer because he went to a book coding bootcamp. So major does help you get that initial role, but it's not the only way. Coding boot camps, self-studying, and more importantly, pairing that with projects are significantly more important. Great advice. Now, what about grad schools and maybe less so for those entry-level jobs, more so for somebody who wants to get up into the C-suite, who wants to be one of the big-time managers? And if so, Jerry, what kind of grad degree would you recommend, if at all? Yeah. So I've had a conversation with my mentor who did his MBA at Harvard, and we were sort of going back and forth as to whether or not I should think about getting an MBA. And we sort of ended at, Jerry, tell me what roles are you applying for and trying to get that you 100% cannot get because the sole reason is that you don't have an MBA. And I said, you know what? Let me go and find out. So when I was, when I left, when I was considering leaving Google, I interviewed 10 tech companies, LinkedIn, Facebook, Robinhood, TikTok, all the heavy hitters. Nine of them didn't require me having an MBA for me to break into middle management roles. And as I sort of talked to the senior people that I would be reporting to and working with the C-suite, the SVPs, the VPs, about 40% of those people actually didn't have a graduate degree. So the rule of thumb that I always give people is try moving up in your career. And if you get the feedback that, hey, listen, you need an MBA for you to break into a VP, SVP role then that's time for you to get an executive MBA or maybe a two-year MBA. But if you don't hear that feedback, 
I'm sort of beginning to see that maybe MBAs aren't as valuable as they used to be. Well, certainly not when you're hustling the way that you and Jonathan (laughs) have and creating your own businesses. Why would you need to get an MBA? You're already doing it. That's right. And, you know, one of the most interesting things that I've noticed is that people typically do MBAs for one of two reasons. One is if you're in a very traditional industry like professional services and they actually have a system that sort of forces you to get an MBA for you to continually move up the chain. Or the second reason is that it's sort of like a career reset button where you can come in as a software engineer and exit as a finance person, or you can come in as a finance person and exit as a sales person. And when you sort of think about those two use cases, and if you fall in those use cases, it probably makes a lot of sense to go to business school. But I would sort of defer to for what I was talking about earlier, saying, listen, is graduate degree the really the biggest reason why you can't get that next role? If so, then grad school is the answer. But more often than not, I think it's more experienced, different types of experiences that they might be looking for. Yeah, that's such fantastic advice. And notice that Jerry wasn't saying you go directly from undergrad into a graduate school program. That's right. You really want to get that real world experience because who knows if you're even going to like what you start out doing. You may decide, hey, this type of field isn't for me. And you want to go into another type of an industry. So for sure, you want to have a number of years of real world experience under your belt first. That's exactly right. And I think there comes a time where you might even consider using a graduate degree to further educate yourself on deeper theories that you maybe didn't get to look into in your undergraduate because you love so much of doing analytics. You love so much of doing design that you're like, man, I want to learn what the professionals of this industry have done in their careers. It absolutely that makes sense, but you're 100% right. Pursuing a graduate degree right out of undergrad is something we typically stray away from and do not recommend. Yeah. And who wants that additional debt? Oh, that's right. Forget it. Forget <laughs> it. Hey, Jerry, what kind of life experiences do you think are most useful for someone starting out in this industry? And by life experiences, I'm talking about experiences outside the classroom, whether it's learning other languages, being one of three kids, volunteering in your community. What do you think are the best kinds of experiences that might actually give our young listeners a leg up on the competition? Yeah, Andrea, I love this question. Stepping outside for, uh, of the podcast real quick, Andrea, uh, I want to share something very personal. Is it? Is that? Is that okay? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, great, cool. And I, and I love talking about this. So uh, I have, I am, I love talking about this. One of the biggest life experiences that I feel has been most helpful in my career is overcoming adversity or overcoming problems that sort of come up in your life, looking at those as learning opportunities and using those learnings to further develop yourself. For me, my family immigrated here to the States when I was an infant. And we were the first family out of our entire family tree to move outside of Korea. And so you can imagine things sort of must have been a little, a little tough, a little, had a lot of cultural barriers that we had to overcome. Most importantly, we had huge financial barriers that we had to overcome. And I remember my parents always saying, listen, Jerry, we, despite things being hard now, 
all this is going to be worth it because you and John are going to, John, my brother, are going to achieve the American dream. And, you know, my family had sort of gone through going on food stamps, thinking about moving back to Korea. And one could look at these experiences and go, wow, that was, that is extremely unfortunate. But I sort of looked at this and go, I am the luckiest person alive to have gone through this with such an amazing support system because their perseverance and hard work of just saying, you know what, we don't know what's going to happen next year. We're going to take it day by day and we're just going to keep pushing forward for the hope that for the chance that John and Jerry might make it. So for me, I, I take these life experiences and I'm like, wow, like, I have seen firsthand of what hard work looks like in overcoming adversity that when I sort of put things into perspective at work, I'm like, you know what? Yes, I have a presentation next week and I have to spend 80 hours on it. Things could be worse. So I think typically when people think about their adversities that they had to overcome in their life, I truly believe that there's always sort of a silver lining in every story. And if you focus on those silver linings, use those experiences and learnings and apply it to your career, your professional and personal growth, that's really the formula for success. Oh my God. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing, Jerry. And I couldn't agree more. My mom grew up in a very modest way. I don't think her family actually got food stamps, but they were lower, you know, very much like working class Americans. And she was the first in her family to go to college. And my dad emigrated to the US at age 13. And I think that you can look at your childhood experiences of having to be super scrappy as something you're embarrassed about. Or you could say, wow, I know I have the grit to make it through anything. And I really believe with the right mindset, which you just outlined there, you see it as a positive. There is nothing that you cannot achieve. Absolutely. And I'm just getting chilled just hearing your story too, because I empathize with that so much. and. It's one of those things that is so much easier than said, but if you can start taking the small sort of adversities that you have in your life and go, what did I learn from that? What can I do better to improve myself in similar situations? It's a muscle that you just keep developing, no matter how small it is, no matter how big it is, if you're able to learn from these and continue to apply it, there you go. I'm lifting up my little three pound weight that I have next to my <laughs> next to my desk because it's true. It's a muscle that you're working exactly. on. And the way that that muscle gets stronger is by pushing yourself. Keep pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Exactly right. Jerry, what is the best part for you of being in, and I don't know if I can call consulting ed tech, but I think it is ed tech. Yeah, we're definitely walking in that direction. The best part is our success is determined by other people's success. And if we fail to bring success to other people, then we fail as a company. And to me, having a company where your incentives are completely aligned to the 
success of the problem that you're trying to solve for. In our case, it's focusing on people who don't know what a resume is, focusing on people who've never heard of networking, or maybe who don't come from a family where they can reach their tap on the shoulders of their uncles and their aunts to go, hey, can you get me an internship? Seeing those people go from that to getting into their first full-time job, being the first in their family to get a full-time job at a big tech company. That is the single most rewarding experience because I was there. And I know exactly the feeling that I had when I broke down, when Google called and said, hey, listen, we'd love to have you on our team. That to me is everything. That to me is why I left Google and I left the lucrative field of tech so that we could start helping others be equipped with this knowledge, but use that knowledge to start their professional journey, perhaps even the first in their family to start their professional journey. That to me is by far the most rewarding part of my job. It never gets old. And people always ask, doesn't career content get boring? And I say, absolutely not. If I can think of a way where I can think about something slightly different about a resume that could potentially help someone get an interview, I've done my job. And that is the most rewarding thing. That's why you don't need caffeine. <laughs> That's right. And I talk to amazing high. people like you. That's right. I don't, I don't know if you probably don't know this, and maybe our listeners don't either, but that was the inspiration behind why I started Time for Coffee, started building it in early 2018, was because I wanted to level the playing field for those young people who didn't have family members or alumni who they could reach out to, who'd open the doors for them to amazing internships and jobs. And I thought, well, why don't I bring amazing professionals like Jerry and like Jonathan to them so that all they have to do is press play to hear their incredible career advice and their professional journeys. So very much symbiotic here in terms of our respective passions. I absolutely love it. And I am all for it. This is amazing. I'm having such a blast. (laughs) So the flip side, because every job, even if it's a job that you've created yourself at a company that you are building as you are at OneSulting, has aspects that suck. So what is the part of your current job as the chief operating officer at One Salting, that sucks the most? As much as I love my job and as much as I am the luckiest person in the world to be in the position I'm in today, there are aspects about my job I'm like, wow, I hate doing this work. And part of that work is figuring out or being our own accountants, working with our accountants to make sure we are asking the right question, we are compliant, working with our legal team to make sure we're compliant making sure we sort of are doing business operation stuff that, frankly, I had no experience doing and had to learn super quickly. And those are the things that I'm like, man, like I just don't have enough passion for me to really put 110% into this, but I know it has to get done and someone has to do it. And those are aspects that I'm like, oh man, I wish that we had enough resources to bring in other people to focus on this. <laughs> One day. <laughs> One, One day. day you will. All right. Three final espresso shots, Jerry. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten? Best career advice I've ever gotten? Interview every year. 
no matter how much you love your job. I read this quote recently and someone said, people typically mistake job security for working at a big company, but real job security is knowing that you can work somewhere else. And that to me, it just, it just struck a chord with me because I'm like, man, like that's exactly what we've been trying to tell everyone. You don't know when the next COVID is going to happen. You don't know when companies are going to lay people off. So always making sure you have an updated resume, you know your career stories, you know the impact that you've brought to companies such that if you wanted to leave tomorrow, that you absolutely have those opportunities. So one of the things I keep doing, interview every year. Even now? Not as much now because it takes so much time. <laughs> but maybe I should. <laughs> All right. Okay. So what about movies, Jerry? Either movies or streaming shows, Apple, Netflix, Hulu, or books. Do you think accurately depict the tech industry? There's a book that I can think of. It would be How to Win Friends and Influence People. If there's anything that I've learned growing in my career, moving up the ladder, it's not about what what you do. That's important, but it's more about how you do it. How do executives portray the work that you bring? How do coworkers like working with you? And so the reason I sort of think about that book is that book has so many key principles of working with people, making sure you give them the benefit of the doubt, making sure you put them in the best light, even if you don't like working with them. Those key principles in my mind is the formula for success in tech industry, because you are going to work with so many people in the tech industry that you might not vibe with them too well. You still have to make sure you have an amicable working relationship. That book is my Bible. (laughs) All right. Okay. We'll include a link to it in show notes. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about the tech industry? The... Biggest thing that the Java junkies would be surprised to learn about the tech industry is you'll see people typically move careers, positions, jobs every two to three years. And it is sort of expected and built into the culture. If you are in your role for more than three or four years, you're sort of considered the tenured person. You're sort of known as a person who sort of knows it all, has seen through the ends of it. And so... That's one of the things I didn't realize because I had always thought and read about people staying in their jobs 10, 15, 20 years. Not the case in the tech industry. I didn't know that. So they expect you to move into different departments or into different companies? Different departments. And so HR has very clear policies and guidelines of this is exactly how you move from being a software engineer into a product manager. They clearly outline this is what you need, this is the process, because they sort of expect you to do that. And the people that you work with are so driven and motivated that once they stop learning, they're going to look for something else. So that's why the culture sort of embedded that it is sort of expected that you're going to move after a couple of years. And I could see where that kind of cross-pollination internally would make the I don't know, the the work life there more cohesive because you have people who've worked in so many different departments. Exactly. And more often than not, you might be working for a team that actually was your stakeholder or someone that you, a team that you worked with. So having that other perspective of, well, this is how the other team would think about it. So this is why we should go do a project this way. 
that level of empathy is everything. And that's why I think people love moving internally. You are obviously going to want to follow Jerry Lee on LinkedIn. Where can they find you on IG and TikTok, Jerry? My handle is Jerry J.H. Lee on both Instagram and TikTok. I post about careers. Today, I actually posted my resume that I used to get 10 interviews on my Instagram. So feel free to check me out. I actually printed it out. (laughs) You did. I have it here. Yeah, I have it here. Although it's really hard to read. I wasn't (laughs) able to like blow it up, but I have it right here. So we'll be talking about that in our main time for coffee interview. Check out show notes to see if Jerry's main T4C episode has already dropped. Jerry, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was just wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And I am so excited for the next episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. Woohoo! Okay. I, I, uh, Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.